Hey, it's Beth here. Episode 381. Um, you know how I talk, and I guess I'm joking, sort of, about staying sane. But um, it actually is getting kind of hard. So I did two really big things this week. Really big. One, I divorced my agent. I started with Gary Saltz 34 years ago with my partner, Debbie. And... Um, it, it, it's the same exact story as, so his, Gary died and his assistant took over. And I've been with him for years and years and years. And the very same, same thing happens every single time. It's like Charlie Brown and the football with Lucy. But I never saw it. Because we, here's a good example. Okay, so my last one, and this is why I like writing. Um, Last winter, we had this big freeze, right? Or the winter before, my mind is so crazed. Uh, anyway, in Austin, Texas, in Texas, we lost the power grid. And for days and days, people didn't have power. People had fireplaces, but they were electric. Uh, people had refrigerators and food, but they were electric. Even turning on the gas stove was impossible. Everything was electric. So people were dying and they couldn't get to the drugstore to get their medication, although they're only allowed to get one month's um, refill for everything. In every single way, everything was falling apart. And it was really scary. So this last screenplay, it's like I work out my problems with my stories. I wrote this story, uh, it based it on the East Coast, where their power grid goes out. And it's kind of sabotage, which is the other thing. You know, that could happen with terrorists or whatever. Just got my mind totally reeling on this and how powerless we really are. Because we don't have real wood and real fireplaces or we don't have real gardens or whatever. So anyway, I based it in outside Syracuse. And at Cornell University, there is this Mohawk huge facility because it's on Mohawk land. And Akawan means together. So that's my story title. And this man owns property, gets to his, his lake house. It's real hard to explain. And when he gets there, this Mohawk chief is there. And he says, you're on my property. The two work together. And they go deep into his property, which is 32 acres, find fresh water with their families, and go about living life the Mohawk way which is perfect. The way they lived was perfect. All they needed was to find fresh water. And they had all that spring and summer to prepare for the next winter with their families. Some bad guys come, marauders. And what the Mohawk did back in the day is they would give a man three days of food and rest to see if he could bring back his good wolf instead of his bad wolf, which is such a lovely thing. So anyway, I created this this piece and this story out of my reckless mind because all I could think of was Mad Max and lawlessness. And that's not the only way to survive when there's, you know, a power grid outage or, or the end of the world or whatever. So anyway, we wrote that story and he helps me write. It is just a wonderful experience. I make the changes. This has happened for 34 years. I do everything right. And then he tells me he's got two people that he wants to look at it. And then he never markets it. 
I mean, a couple of times I've gotten real close, like with Eric Clapton and stuff like that. But usually this is what happens. And then I just blithely come up with a new idea. Well, this time, this time, there's no new idea. And I have to face the music that this is a really sick relationship. And I'm, and he does, he does youth adult books and he sells them. He does do things for people. He just doesn't do them for me. And we get really close when we're writing and then he drops me like a hot coal. It is so painful. And then I come running back. Oh, please love me, love me with a new story that piques his interest and we, and we go forward, but I never get resolution on what happened. I mean, it's really sick and it's really driving me crazy. So I divorced him. I broke up. I just did it. I just did it this week right now and it's over and I feel relief. I just wasn't good enough. It's okay. It's okay. I can deal with it. Then the other thing I did this week, because I'm really having a hard time carrying these burdens that I don't have to carry. I, I stopped my, our grief group for Brett. We, we lost our son, Brett in his thirties. And we've been going to grief group and I'd say kids doing it for me. And it's every other week and it's a wonderful set of people. I have three friends that I've made from that group and we meet on the outside. I will never give them up, but I don't need to do this anymore. In the very beginning, I needed to vent, feel, to whatever, every single day. And the, the grief group was always a salvation because I could talk there and they understood me there. I don't need it every other week. I don't need it like that. And nothing I can do can bring bread back. So this week I've just let it all go. I mean, it's hard, but I'm dealing with it. Those two ideas were magical thinking. My agent was never going to market any of my stories the way he should. And I guess he was just keeping me around. He did tell somebody one time that he inherited me. I should have listened. Nobody, he didn't choose me. So that could, that could alter the way he looks at my things. Although we did enjoy working together. That part is true. He just didn't trust it enough or want to put his reputation on the line for me. So I'm letting it go and I let it go. And then this good thought happened, like good things can happen. Nothing good can happen from Brett. That's okay. That's my life. That's my torment. I have to deal with that one, but I don't have to deal with my agent. So a little light showed up right after I did that. And I called this guy, Ken, in our town, and we did a play together called The King of Texas, which is about when Texas was a country, the king of France sent an ambassador to the country of Texas, that little tiny, you know, dirt farm of a country. And his name was Alphonse, and he was coming to offer the country of Texas $4 million for a whole lot of its land and all its mineral rights. No one could see through this, but Sam Houston 
it became an international scandal with the pig wars. It's really the best thing I've ever done. And I tried to make it into a movie. Ken read it. We did it as a play, just at a festival. But now we're going to do it as a play in town. I just opened my eyes and I looked around. And there was somebody really nice there. Somebody who did think I was okay. And I don't know if it's going to work out. And I feel like it could be a football. And it could be another Charlie Brown. A little bit different looking, but Charlie Brown. I'm not sure, but I'm willing to try. And at least there's really hope here. Because we did do something together. He did. He was as good as his word once before. And if we're going to lunch next Thursday... Of course, my car's in the shop again, but I'll get there somehow. And maybe Kit will drive me. I don't care. I'll get there somehow to this lunch that is at 12 o'clock on Thursday. And I will look into his eyes. And if he tells me we really can do it, I'm really going to believe him. I'm going to believe in somebody in the entertainment, in, in the entertainment business. I'm just going to put my heart out there again, but I'm going to put it with someone else who will be more kind to me. So that's part of sanity. And then I had to deal with why did you do that for 34 years? Because Debbie walked away. Debbie walked away after eight years. She said, this is not working. I can't take the pain. I was like, why, why did I take it for all those extra years? First of all, I, I wanted it to happen. Second of all, it sort of would validate me in a big way as a person, which is weird. And then the third thing, which is the most horrible and painful, is I wanted somebody who didn't like me or respect me to change their mind. Kind of like my mother when I was little. I had three brothers. She liked raising boys. She liked turning them into doctors and lawyers. She didn't know what to do with me. Plus I was dyslexic and overweight in high school. So I kind of understand, but I did want to have a spectacular win with her. And I didn't. And so I thought, well, if I have a spectacular win in the outside world and I win an Oscar and she's watching me on television, she's going to have to think I was something. This is what, I mean, when you, when you want to be sane, you really have to look inside yourself and you have to look in the mirror and you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. If you, I mean, when you do something for 34 years and it's hopeless, you're doing it for a reason. It's probably not a good reason. But I'm willing to look at it now. I can see it. And I look crazy. But I look crazy when I was trying. Now I look crazy. I understand the crazy. And I can, and I feel lighter. I just feel better. I feel like he can't hurt me anymore. And I don't need his validation or the Oscar committee's validation, that's magical thinking. I just need to feel okay about myself, which is fine. I'm 68. I can do it. I can do it. I don't, I can drop my Oscar speech. I wrote it 5 million times. I don't need to write an Oscar speech to be okay. I mean, my other problem with bread, I cannot fix. And everybody has problems like that. And those will, those will wear you down and those will kill you anyway. And they're a burden to carry, but you don't have to carry anything else. You don't have to carry things like a agent, magical thinking, whatever. You can drop some things, a friend that drives you crazy, 
that just takes or whatever it is. You don't have to take it. You don't. Not anymore. If you can look yourself in the mirror and say, what were you doing? And be honest about what the answer is. Maybe you can let something go. I don't know. I think I'm a little crazier than everyone. And my sanity was getting harder. But I feel stronger because I'm not carrying that around anymore. I'm not waiting for his phone call. I feel like it was like a 1950s love song. Waiting by the phone. One less, one less bell to answer. I, I swear, that's how I felt. If he'd call me, my heart would rejoice. I would be lit from within. Well, I can't afford that. I can't afford to wait for that. I don't have time. Plus, it's not going to happen. So, plus I don't need to be lit from within. It's okay. I mean, I can be my little self. It's fine. I'll have little victories. You know, they'll, I'll take my car to the shop and they'll call me up and they'll have fixed it. That's a victory. I'll be back in my car. I got to look at life from where I'm really sitting. So that's what I did. I divorced my agent. I divorced my agent. I am so relieved. I've let go of this insane fantasy. It's like Moby Dick and I have cut the fishing line and I've told the whale to go off and live an exciting life. I'm done. I don't need to bring the carcass to the shore for the villagers to see so I can validate myself. I don't need it. I don't. I don't even really want it. The amount of effort I've put into it, it's... It's probably a Pyrrhic victory, which I hate Pyrrhic victories. Like that, that whale with the bones on the shore was a Pyrrhic victory. I don't see the beauty in it. I don't need the beauty in it. I did see it years ago. I totally did. Tilting at windmills, Moby Dick. Those are my stories. I was going to write a screenplay with David about a codependent superheroes. And our theme song was going to be to dream your impossible dream, to reach your impossible star, to fight your impossible foes will be my joy. No, no. Even if it was going to be my screenplay and my Oscar speech, it wasn't really mine. I had to wait and beg and grovel for so many years. It would be, it wouldn't last. I just got to find little victories like getting my car fixed. Things I can handle. Small stuff. I'll build it up. I'll be fine. I don't need it. I don't need to be hurt anymore. So, and I'm so glad I didn't marry someone who I needed to impress. Who I needed to make me love him. I'm so glad I didn't bring this into my, my family. And I guess I'm happy if I had to play this, this game that I played it with an agent and not with my husband or my best friend, or anything, because it's exhausting. It's way too exhausting to try and make somebody love you, to try to make somebody listen to you, to try to make somebody do the things they promised that they would do for you when they don't want to, when they never had an intention of doing it. You can't, you can't be, you can't be spectacular enough unless you're maybe Tennessee Williams, which I'm not, okay? I just thought if I worked 34 years, every single one was better than the one before, but they just weren't good enough. So what I might do, I mean, these are my babies and I hate that they're just going to die. 
So what I might do sometimes is just tell you the story of Yeti, my little abominable snow baby that gets lost in Alaska. And just so you'll hear it. So he'll live for a little minute on his own in our own little way, not in a big way. So that's my story. Insanity is really, really what I'm striving for. So this is what I had to do. I had to divorce my agent and I will be back. I'm going to go lie down.